0: Hello and welcome once again to the GAA show. My name is Pierce Corcoran. This weekend, Saturday, 21st November, is the 100th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, where 14 people, including one player, Michael Hogan from Tipperary, lost their lives at a game between Dublin and Tipperary and Crow Park at the hands of British soldiers. To play a small part in celebrating their lives and mourning their deaths, we are honoured to have on the show Sunday Times, GAA reporter and author of the fantastic The Bloodied Fields, which highlights what happens that day and has been developed into a really interesting podcast series. Welcome, Michael Foley. Thanks, Pierce. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Go straight into it. Now, Michael, this event, this period of our time, has lived long in GA folklore with many stories emanating from it. And you touched on it in your podcast at the start, where you talked about how what actually happened that day has taken on many different, different versions, whether it was a final, whether it was challenge game and so on and so forth not many people actually know exactly what happened even before you got into it so before we get into what actually happened that day what was it about it that piqued your interest and obviously you developed some some fantastic work from it
1: yeah like i was working for the paper um at the ireland england game the english ireland england rugby game in 2007 um and at the time, I suppose that's that was a kind of the starting point for it. Like, I mean, at the time there was so much talk around, you know, England coming to Crow Park and the English flag and God Save the Queen and so on and so forth. And there was a lot of coverage about Bloody Sunday and about Michael Hogan and why Crow Park was such a, a a contentious place for England to play sport. And look, like, like the rest of us, I'd been brought up. You know, in my history class, I had learned a little bit about Bloody Sunday and we'd seen the Michael Collins film in the mid-90s and so on. My, I actually, I think my, my great-grandparents were in, were in Crow Park on Bloody Sunday as well. But it wasn't something that, you know, it wasn't like a, a big thing in the family or anything like that. Um, It was just something we knew. Um, It wasn't something that we were particularly exercised by. We weren't a very political family or anything like that. So it was really around that 2007 period where I kind of just... It just intrigued me the fact that all the coverage about um, Bloody Sunday 1920 and how it related to England playing, it was all very gappy and very, um, you know, you kind of if you read one version of it, 12 people were killed. You read another one, it was 16, 14, whatever. The name of the people were, seemed different depending on where you read it. And just all in all, there just, it just seemed to be a very conflicted story. A very conflicted story for one that we seemed to be very clear that we knew what happened it was pretty clear to me that we kind of didn't really know what happened. But, like, at that stage, I had just finished uh, another book called Kings of September, which was about the Kerry Offley uh, five-in-a-row game uh, in back in 82. So I was kind of just coming off of one book. And um, to be honest, I was a bit – I phased I is too strong a word, but I, I hadn't studied history in college. I had an interest in history, and I would have loved to have done it in college, but I didn't. Um, and I just wasn't sure – uh, if I was the right person to do it, or what would I bring to it? And there was better, there was people better qualified than me. But um, so it took about four years. 2011, I kind of went a few different, I kind of been involved in a couple of different projects in the meantime, and I just decided, look, you know what? I'm just going to do this. So um, in we went. So it was sort of that's where it started. 2007, the rugby, and um, really after that, I mean, once once I kind of got into it and started establishing you know, we kind of knew the, the 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 where and we knew the when, Crow Park, 21st November 1920, but establishing the who, what and why um, really drew me in. And, you know, it, it was really, I, I suppose, going forward from that, it was the victims, really, and knowing, knowing what I, I found out about the victims and, and where they had sat in the story, kind of drove it on beyond that to the point that it was like, you know, it's been nine years now, um, sort of trying to, pull the story together and 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 bring it and bring them back to the center of the story you know
0: you see, you mentioned there you were looking for the who what and why mm. was there anything within that when you started doing your research that you might you know, like you said I think every kind of Irish GA fan has it had a general idea of what happened that day but was there anything when you investigated the who what and why that you, that surprised you that thought oh I didn't realize that happened that day
1: oh yeah absolutely I mean the the list of victims alone I mean you know I was Probably like a lot of people, uh, if you had said to me, bloody Sunday, I would have said Michael Hogan. And that was pretty much where it ended. I had no idea who had had been, who else had been killed. I had no idea that three children had been killed. I had no idea that a woman had been killed, never mind a woman who was on the the brink of getting married the following week. Um, I had no idea that a British Army serviceman was killed, Um, or an ex-British Army serviceman, I should say. You know, so, I mean, there was a whole, I mean, I I would fairly say at every turn there was something that i didn't know um you know even little things like um the dublin goalkeeper being involved in an operation in the morning i don't think that was common knowledge at the time i don't think anybody knew to be honest it was just i i came across someone who was on the same job who's who listed off the people he knew that had been there with him and he mentioned johnny mcdonald and 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 in brackets in his little statement was brother of paddy the dublin footballer so it was like well johnny was a dublin footballer do you know but you know, so I'd, I'd say appears nearly at every turn um, there was something new. And I can remember at the time as I was starting into it and learning more, I would occasionally kind of tell people a little story, you know, just almost just to see was this just something I was interested in? Or was it something that other people might actually be interested in? Maybe I was, you know, the I mean? way like I thought maybe I'm obsessing over this too much and it's actually just me. It's not. Anything. And I, I, I always remember telling um, the story of Jane Boyle. I just found I kind of just put it together that Jane Boyle had been married and, and and had been shot in the circumstances. And her fiance had had a hold or she had a hold of her fiance's arm as they were trying to get to an exit and. When the firing rang out, she was hit and her arm slipped from his arm. And I remember telling that story to somebody one evening and I could see in their face and their reaction. They actually, when I got to the point of just saying and her hand slipped from his and the person just went huh, like that, you know, yes. and I kind of felt, OK, it's not just me. It's, it's not just me.
0: Yeah,
1: this is something there's some there's a power in these stories now that we don't we don't we don't know them. But the power that's in these stories, we, uh, they need to be brought to bear on the whole bloody Sunday story. So little things like that were real. I mean, I came across plenty. Of, I remember I, remember being in a, I live in McCroom here and uh, I had just moved here around 2012 and I was I was with down for a drink with my brother and we were sitting inside in the pub and a fellow who, who knew me came over and he says, um, are you working on e-books now or whatever? You know, and I said, I'm doing this thing. All right. And, and I just starting into this thing about bloody Sunday. Bloody Sunday, what? And I said, bloody Sunday, nineteen twenty, Crow Park. And there was a pause. And he said, you know, no one is going to be interested in that. Like, who, who cares about that from 100, like hundred years ago, whatever? So sure, like, that's 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 long gone. Like, who, who's going to care about that? And I said, I don't know. I said, but sure, we'll see. We'll see how we pan out, you know. <laughs> so you know, so I had that as well, like. But I, you know, I kind of knew from the reaction of people when I, when, when I kind of tell these little bits and pieces of stories that I wasn't the only one who was, who was being, who was feeling something about these stories, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting you said that because I think when we talk about this event, and it kind of goes back to what I asked there, Krumins, ago, that this event, people thought they knew, and mm. you mentioned on the side of your uh, your podcast, people think it was if it was an all-arm final or it was a challenge game or whatever else. And the one thing that struck me from watching the documentary was the level of detail about the day itself set a scene for Dublin that we knew about the War of Independence. We knew that everything was going on. But it was the first time that I kind of felt how intertwined the War of Independence was with a game of GAA. And I know that might sound... Mm-hmm strange because the GAA in itself had kind of origins from that. Is that something that you found that was with the GAA kind of diving into the story and you kind of felt like in so far the story was a little bit bigger and maybe people just were kind of sh- shunned it out a bit because of that and not wanting to get into the, the, the detail of it.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it, it's funny. It kind of was... Yeah, it it did. Um, Like, again, going back to my kind of basic knowledge of the GAA and revolutionary politics, like it's formed in 1884 as a a kind of a cultural organisation, but straight away there's a political battle to take it. You know, the Irish Republican Brotherhood have people in there who want to turn it into a slightly different, a more political organisation and so on and so forth. So that would have been my understanding of it. And, you know, but even again, I mean, even in the last bunch of years, you know, and around around the 1916 centenary, you learn so much about the GAA's role there, or, or not, that they, they actually step back from it a bit. Obviously, you had individual GAA members in a, a club like O'Toole's in Dublin, had a huge turnout um, for Easter week. But as an organisation, the GAA stepped away from this stuff. And, and, you know, it was the same in 1920 that, like, yes, they were seen as a nationalist organisation. Yes, they had a tricolour flying over the ground. And yes, the volunteers—I mean, the volunteers in 1917, when when they, they kind of were coming back together after 1916, they had one of their big first big meetings was in Crow Park. But like all of these things were were were, were there. But at the same time, the GA still didn't want to be seen as this sort of you know the IRA of Clay for, for I hate that expression, but but you know they didn't want to be seen in that way. Um, and yeah, that was, I mean that. It, that this is, and I'm kind of talking about my evolving, my understanding of of, yeah. of of it, and this is this is exactly what I'm saying is how it evolved in my head, and and I kind of came to the conclusion by the, by sort of while writing the book and and even coming back to the podcast and going back to the material again, kind of going, you know, whether they want whether they liked it or not, whether they wanted it to be this case or whether it just evolved, their future was inextricably linked to the struggle for independence at that point. Because that's just how they were seen by the British authorities, you know, Um, you know, they went to Crow Park that day because the killings in the morning, the shootings in the morning of the the spies and agents, British authorities thought the Dublin Brigade of the IRA aren't active enough and capable of performing this operation. They brought help up from the country and they reckon that 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 help may well have come up in the guise of supporters going to a GA match. I mean, that's quite striking, like, when you think about it, that when they were doing, when they were making their deductions in Dublin Castle, that's how they saw uh, Crow Park and the crowd. So right. whether, the GAA, whether the GAA wanted it to be this way or not, the GAA didn't want to call off the Dublin Tipperary game in the afternoon because they did not want to be seen to being reactive, reactive to an act of political violence in the morning. And that's fine and understandable. That was one reason why they didn't. It was more complex than that, but that was one reason. Yeah. But the reality of this thing was that the British saw them as part of the other, if you like. Yeah. And and would have seen a search operation in Crow Park that afternoon as potentially yielding suspects, possibly weapons and documents. So that kind of tells you that tells you how they were seen, whether whether they put that out there themselves or not. It was kind of out of their hands.
0: So if I'm I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly, the GAA were kind of of the opinion, we're a completely separate organization. So within that, then on the day when the British soldiers identified the game as an event, did the GAA have any inkling or was there getting back to them that, look, you might think this, but that's not actually the case?
1: Well, they were certainly informed that there was a force of police coming, a combined force of military and police. Um, Three IRA men came to the came to Crow Park um, that afternoon looking for Luke O'Toole, the general secretary. And they had gotten information from their sources in the Dublin Metropolitan Police that a combined force were coming to Crow Park. Why? didn't know. What kind of force were they bringing? They didn't know. But they went and they said, look at." said to Luke O'Toole, look at, this is what's happening. We would urge you to call the game off. And as I say, O'Toole had this this political dynamic going on on the one hand, um, where he did not want to be seen to be reacting to what had happened in the morning. He didn't want the GA connected to this in any way, shape, or form. On the other side, there was a very, and it sounds very trite now, and it sounds ridiculous, but when you're there on the day, it's a very practical thing. If, if, if I'm going to call a game off, and there's a huge crowd, like we're talking 15,000 people, are thronging around the ground and already in the ground. How am I going to get all these people out safely? What if people start clamouring for refunds? What's the story there? It could actually cause more hassle. We're used to the black and tans coming around and, you know, acting the blackguard for want of a better expression.
0: Right.
1: And no one. I mean, one of the IRA men said to him, "Imagine if they, imagine if they brought the machine guns or something like that. He said, wouldn't it wouldn't be a terrible thing." But nobody really believed that. You know, nobody thought that there was going to be a a, 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 shoot, a, a massacre. In, in crow park nobody did right. so they're they're in they're in that space like of sort of trying luco tool i mean he doesn't realize it like but it's one of the biggest decisions he makes in his entire life and i mean i've i've huge i often think of luco tool and i know when people hear the story they go well luco tool has a, someone someone asked me recently luco tool have a case to answer here you know and i was like no like i mean he he couldn't have possibly envisaged what was going to happen, you know. He, was, he made his decisions with the best of intentions, you know.
0: It's interesting you say that, because from the documentary that was recently aired on RT, which went into the events of the day, and I highly recommend anybody watch it as long as, 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 well as reading the book and the podcast, the one thing I took from it was, was that an awful lot of people around that were going to the game and were in Dublin were quite nervous and fearful of the reaction from the British forces. So it's quite interesting that you say they were of the opinion, well, look, nothing's going to happen, which is a quite reasonable assumption to make, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: So I'm just wondering, like, where do you think, where did those two things marry in the fact that you had fans who were used to overly aggressive black and tans types coming in, creating trouble, while also thinking, well, look, we're used to their... Blackguarding, like as you say, they're not going to come in with with machine guns.
1: It's just, I think it's just, and it's what makes it. It's part of what makes the whole thing so so harrowing for people to try and get their heads around. I mean, you're asking me the question: uh, how how do we marry those two concepts? That the, the gap in the middle is the unthinkable nature of of police opening fire on a on a football crowd. Yeah, that well, is, you yeah. know, that, that that's 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 where the the gap is that we cannot marry that because it doesn't make any sense, you know. It yeah. doesn't. It is not what we. When we go to Crow Park, we go, and it doesn't matter whether it's a, a, a GA game or if it's a gig or some kind of event that you're going to in Crow Park. You're going to enjoy it, you know. You're 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 in the expectation of having fun, and it's a good place to go. No one ever dreads going to Crow Park. I well, I hope not. Anyway uh you know unless unless you're playing dublin in a leinster final or something like that you're probably not trading it. but you know what i mean it's 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 um it's it's a, it's a it's a place of joy and for it to be turned into the scene for of a massacre i think at a 100 years removed it's very very hard for people to figure out you know, all these two these these two things all happening at the one time like the other thing that I I should have mentioned previously was, I mean, we've talked there a little bit about the GA being, and and it's, and it's sort of, it's a political stance. The the other thing about the GA at that time, it's the very same as now in the membership. And you can see it in the crowd that go to Crow Park that day. It's an incredibly broad constituency of people. Like you've got all sorts in there, men, women, children. I mean, when I went to, I mean, that that interested me because when I went to, to GA matches as a kid in the eighties, in particular, as a child, very much male dominated, place but i mean on bloody sunday i mean you had children there obviously women uh, a couple of women play play a major role in 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 what happens on the day including jane boyle of course who was killed um you know as i mentioned a british army man was 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 killed pranks go butler the tipperary goalkeeper fought on the somme you had ira volunteers in the dublin team you had a couple on the on the tip team it's this you know you would have had ira men brushing off of um off-duty policemen I'd say and um servicemen uh, in that ground so like it was seen even even in that way it was seen as a kind of a kind of a communal space you know yeah, so all, all all yeah all those things put together and I mean you're right I mean you know it's it is true to say that I mean people moving around Dublin that morning it was the nature of the war of independence atrocity is met by reprisals so the morning's killings of those spies is an atrocity so everybody's expecting a reprisal from the police um where it's going to happen no one knows i know that some of the dublin players said they felt they felt that something might come to crow park and i'm sure there was people there who thought it could happen but um it, it still was it, to the majority and certainly to the to to, to to luke o'toole and 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 the people in charge of the g at the time it just didn't it didn't seem like something that could possibly happen
0: and I think that's a, a fair assumption. And, you know, I suppose because it goes back to, I think when we all think of Crow Park and think of the GA and maybe it's a bit kind of in recent years, maybe a bit idealistic, but we think, you know, when we go there, fans will all get on. There's no segregating. Everybody's going to get it together. Mm-hmm. You know, players all, you know, will represent the county and go back and do a normal job on a Monday. Yeah. yeah like that yeah. whole idea. And I suppose, and it's, and it's and it's interesting, that's probably where the GAA, could, that word emanated from, and that whole kind of thing. So it's quite, I think it's probably a fair assumption, as you mentioned, for Luke O'Toole to just say, look, whatever's going on outside the four walls of Crow Park, that's for there. This is yeah. here. Yeah. You know, and I suppose going forward, the other story that kind of struck me is, I mean, it was quite incredible, was the story you mentioned now of Scout Butler. Just if you want to tell a little bit about what happened on the day to him, because his the incident afterwards was quite remarkable.
1: Yeah. So the firing, the firing starts and lasts 90 seconds. And a lot of the players, particularly players with any kind of military training, and that include, I include IRA volunteers and that they hit the dirt. Frank Scott Butler is among them and he's he's a goalkeeper from Feathered and he's he's lying on the ground and the firing lasts 90 seconds. And now it's stopped. And Scout is still on the ground, face down. And a black and tan comes over and starts kicking him in the arms and legs and says to him, You're one of the gunmen who killed our lads, referring to the morning killings. And Butler kind of looks up at him and says, The last time I fired a gun was on the Somme. And he rolls up his sleeve to reveal a British regimental tattoo. So, you know, this is, you know, even if you look at the Tipperary team list, you have number one Frank Scout Butler. Army, World War One veteran, number two, Michael Hogan, IRA volunteer, you know. So straight away, you're into the sort of um, far more and it's far more complex. And it goes back even to the to to the GAA's treatment, particularly in the last couple of years of World War One and the centenaries there. That also gave us an opportunity to look at the complexities of what being part of the GAA meant back then. It wasn't as straightforward as maybe we were told in the way up that you're either with him or again him sort of stuff. A lot more complex than that. I mean, even on the documentary the other night, you had the story of John Joseph Fitzgerald, one of the men killed in the morning. Uh, he was he was he, he was in Dublin. He he was an RIC man. His father he was from Capo White in Tipperary, and his father was chairman of the local GA club. And he was shot by the IRA that morning. Probably a case of mistaken identity, it seems. So like. It's that complex, you know. Yeah. I was only talking to somebody today. I was talking to a relative of one of the Tipperary players today, and he was telling me that this particular player played for Tip. He wasn't. I don't. He wasn't in the. I don't think he was in the IRA. It's. It's a bit. We're not sure. But his brother-in-law was in the RIC. So, you know, it's life. Nothing. Nothing travels in straight lines, you know.
0: And it's. It's. Well, I say. I say it's. It's a great situation. But I suppose just a couple of years later. We had a situation where uh, civil war breaks out and you have families down the middle. So, I suppose, in a way, that was probably a, a little bit of a precursor because the country was so intertwined in this situation. Like going forward after that event, after Bloody Sunday, where was the GAA at then? Because the whole situation, whole environment, now we looked at the hollow turf. They'd come onto the hollow turf and they'd committed something awful. What was the relationship between the GAA and the IRA like then afterwards?
1: I don't think it changed much. I think what changed was a couple of relationships changed. The the GAA's relationship with Croke Park changed and its relationship to the story changed. You mentioned they're going forward a couple of years into, into the Civil War time and into the formation of the Irish Free State. It changed a lot. Um, like the thing, I, I suppose we're, again, we've been going to Crowe Park so long that it feels like it was always hallowed ground. But in 1920, J had it for seven years. I mean, a couple of years beforehand, it was an absolute pit. It was an absolute pit of a place to go. Like the, the journalists who had to cover matches there were given out about the state of it. Like that it was just so, if this is, if this is the GA's premier ground, they'd want to get their act together because it's, you couldn't be asking people to come into it. Basically. So Crow Park hadn't quite gained that aura that it has now. And it does have an aura. I mean I'll come back to that in a second, but I mean it just in in nineteen twenty, um it's the killing of Michael Hogan on the pitch, the spilling of martyr blood on this on this field that makes it hallowed ground. Now the GA can never leave this place. And there would have been if my memory serves me right, and I'm open to correction here, but I am pretty sure that there would have been talk of maybe getting out of Croke Park, you know? But now, we're not moving. We're not moving. And in terms of the, uh, in terms of the relationship to the story, when we come into the Irish Free State, the GAA now has an opportunity, a political opportunity, if you like, to position itself as the, preeminent sporting organization in the country because they can point to bloody sunday and say we had a role in this struggle you know we we spilled blood i mean and it was used it wasn't a ga policy to be fair but plenty of ga individuals for decades afterwards would have referred to hogan and would have referred to bloody sunday as a way of somehow elevating their irish so the ga status you know they didn't go to Dalymount Park. They didn't go to Lansdowne Road when they wanted to strike a blow. They came to Coal Park, and this is, and this, this, this kind of very straightforward telling of Bloody Sunday is perpetuated. And of course, it ignores all the complexity of the actual relationship between GA and Bloody Sunday, which we can now explore, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it was. I mean, it, it, I suppose in the end, it becomes a political idea. Rather than an episode that the GA try and work through, I think to be fair to Jay as well, it has to be said they probably felt we just have to drive on here as well. You know Absolutely. we can't stop. I mean, where if they stopped and started, if if they stopped and actually considered what was after happening to them, I mean, who knows? They don't know what's coming. We know now because we can look back at the story, but they don't know in November nineteen twenty what's coming next. Um, will will the organize, will, excuse me, will the, will the organisation survive? You know they don't know.
0: Well, of course, and I, and I think as well when you take that moment of time, it, it it's really like, like you said, it's the relationship between the relationship between GAA and the Irish state is, is I suppose, forever cemented. Then yeah, and like kind of increased that picture. The, on the on the flip side, then the relationship between the armed forces and the Irish state and the GAA then. One thing that I would, would, would interest to find out is what was in your time researching this? Did you get any reaction or feedback from the armed forces? Because it seems like it was a bit of a dark episode in their time there.
1: In in terms of the British armed forces, is it, yeah. or the or, British, the British armed forces? forces? Yeah. Well, not particularly, no. I mean, and it's a, it's a very important point as well to make, actually. And, it you know, understandably, it it's gets It gets kind of the military and the police get used in different, you know, the soldiers fired on Crow Park, police fired on Crow Park. There's actually a really important reason why it's important to point out that the police fired. And the reason it's important is that the British authorities at that time did not want to fight the War of Independence, as we call it, as a military war. They did not want their army firing. So it was fought as a police war. So so Crow Park being a good example, when the firing was done, it was done by the police. The army didn't fire a bullet. It's the police because they don't want the army going into combat against the IRA because then they're almost legitimizing the notion of a war against what they see essentially as a bunch of criminals. So from that side of things, in terms of in terms of the British armed forces, I didn't engage much with them in, you know, directly in that way. When I was doing the research, what I did was I went to the queue. I went to the Q Archives in London, where the military archives are, and they have a Bloody Sunday file. It's actually a box. And I was able to access that and see whatever was in it. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff that would have been sealed and redacted and so on and so forth all came available around 1999, really, was the main time. Um, So most of the stuff was open and available by 2011, 2012, and even more is available now online and stuff. So from that point of view, I mean, I've never had to be honest, I've never had any um, I've never had any reaction. I I think in terms of the time itself, um, like the reality of it is, you know, we you know, again, the telling of Bloody Sunday is that the IRA crippled the intelligence network and it was a huge blow to the British in Ireland. And it was a blow in the sense that they suddenly got this sense that the, the IRA can strike anywhere. But the actual practical effect of it was the British just beefed themselves up and went even harder. And the IRA went even harder, and you had seven months of chaos before there was a truce.
0: Yeah, and, and like, that's remarkable to think, though, as well, because it's something that I suppose sounds like it's made a dent. But on the other side, like you said, they just beefed up and went again. So mm-hmm. in terms of, it's probably, the, it's the wrong word to look at, but in terms of something like success, for want of a better word. Of the whole operation it's probably not a matter of success it's the a matter of evolving the story then because you know it's a bit like 1916 it's, it's the, the martyrdom would that be correct in saying yeah the, but then got the ultimate goal of getting soldiers out of dublin or, uh, yeah. and
1: Earth. yeah like i mean it, it's if, if you look at it and again we're taking the humanity entirely out of this just to look at it, as as you say, like this is, um, you know, we're, 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 we're analyzing it here now in a sort of, uh, you know, yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Like it's, I mean, essentially, if you look from an IRA point of view, they went out and they targeted 35 places in the morning. Uh, there was actually only people at eight of those targets. They killed 15 people in the end all, all together, including one person who died a couple of weeks later to make it 15. Um, How many spies did they actually hit? We know six for sure. We know two of them were definitely auxiliaries and the rest then are open to debate. Um, So on that front, I don't think you cripple an intelligence network by killing six spies. However, you do put a huge element of doubt and uncertainty and even fear into an administration when they realise you can hit them wherever they are. You can hit them in their beds. Like that is... That 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 really went to the heart and shook the British administration. That that alone, um, that night. And a thing that's forgotten, and actually, uh, it was good. It was a it was a good thing to point out. I think the documentary. Uh, it's something that's not really touched that much on, is the killing of Powder McKee or Dick. I'm sorry, Patrick Clancy and Dick McKee that night in uh, in. Um, in Dublin Castle, along with Conor Clune, who was an innocent victim, kind of gathered up in the whole thing. McKee and Clancy were huge figures in the in the Dublin IRA. And they were basically, they were tortured and killed that night, Sunday night. Um, And their their, their death was made to look like they were trying to escape. To the IRA, that was a huge blow, losing those two. And, and again, I'm taking the humanity, the emotion out of it. I'm just saying it just as purely as a strategic thing. They, it was a huge blow. So when IRA leaders looked back on Bloody Sunday, they could certainly, there was a... There was a benefit to them in terms of the chaos, but they lost two great organizers, two men who were key to the running of that operation in the, on, on that Sunday morning. And it also eventually, I mean, eventually it got the British to beef up their intelligence again and they got, it, it intensified their efforts to try and go after the IRA. So, you know, it, it performed, a, it, it got, it bought the IRA time, I think. And it certainly created, as I say, that chaos and that sense among the British that this war is a long way from over. Um, but that, th- those were the two main gains for them, I think.
0: I think that's a great place to leave it, Mike. I'd love to sit here all day and all night talking about it because it's an incredibly interesting topic. Yeah. Thanks a million for your time. If people want to get more detail, there's the Bloodied Field podcast, uh, the Bloodied Field book. I believe there's now an updated edition. Um, and there's plenty of resources around it's an incredibly interesting time period and I think people even if you think you know everything about it or you think you might know something about it but that tells it all the whole story believe me you don't and it's an incredibly important time to get your teeth into and your head around from here from us you can catch us on Twitter as always on social on Instagram on Facebook and anywhere else at the GAA show Um, Until next time, thanks very much, Michael, and all the best.